Buddhist Geeks Discover the Emerging Face of Buddhism. Episode 293 Be the Lover. In this episode, Kelly Sosan Bearer concludes her conversation with teachers Sophia Diaz and Trudy Goodman, exploring the feminine aspects of practice from a female teacher's point of view. This is part two of a two part series. Buddhist Geeks is supported largely by the generosity of our listeners. If you like what we're doing, please consider making a one-time or monthly recurring donation by visiting BuddhistGeeks.com forward slash donate. How do you hold the role of teacher differently than you see your peers um, men teachers holding the role of teacher that's clear question yeah well first of all i want to say i i have immense gratitude for my men teachers i never felt in any way that i was treated as less than or encouraged Mm -hmm. to be less in any way and that that is huge and i Mm -hmm. i just bow to them and love them Mm -hmm. and so there's that and then i also feel that the way that I am and the way that I teach might be very different from other women as well, because Mm -hmm. many women who came up with male teachers are also maybe doing things still more in that way. Um, Like Sophie was talking about when she shifted from that perspective. But I definitely know that the way that I teach, I think I come in closer to people. I feel that it's more intimate. I feel that I teach much more through, maybe this is what you were calling the feeling faculty, Sophia, but I teach much more from a felt sense of no separation where I actually feel I can become, Mm. in a sense, the person that I'm with. And Mm. and that capacity to shift, in a way, the location, the subject object. Mm -hmm. Yes, yes of our consciousness, sometimes you might call it empathy, but it feels more than that. It feels like a willingness to become something or someone and, and then learn what it's like, what the world mm. looks like through those, through those eyes, like entering mm. the world of a child, for example. And when I'm with a group, it's different. And especially with a very, very big group, it's different. But there is, again, that felt sense of... Mm of the room. And I think because I love nature, I'm, this is also perhaps very feminine too, to just feel so connected to nature and, Mm -hmm. uh, that we, we, there's a way of um, going direct without the intermediary of too many methods or techniques, Mm -hmm. Um, but just going direct to that connection. And I'm not talking about merging in any pathological sense. I just, no, no, (laughs) No, you, I think you described it really incredibly because you talked about the feeling faculty and that being in the forefront of changing the center of your awareness to be inclusive enough to, I do have a word to refer to it. I refer to it as communion, which yeah, is a very, yeah. res, it's a very responsible and it, ta- it takes bodily conductivity, awareness, feeling, and there's a non-randomness to your feeling participation in your own body in order to do that. Absolutely. And so it's not that uh, 
you know, whatever the psychological term that you used, I just, it's so obviously so distinct from that because it's a very responsible participation. I do think it takes a lot of the, I think that it rests upon a lot of practice because we carry a lot of fear about who we are. And that to me is what a sitting practice or any discipline kind of sheds what I call the carcass of habits that we inherited from our lineage <laughs> and and makes communion much easier. You know, all the other disciplines make it much easier. But I I just wanted to totally agree on the huge distinction of the, you know, neurotic glomming into somebody and the dignified yeah. use yeah. of the feeling faculty to change um, really your our self-centeredness. That's what it is. <laughs> yes, it is. It is. And it's it's also linked to what you said about not being afraid because out of the years of sitting and practicing in the various modalities we practice, there comes a knowing of oneself and a willingness to go there wherever there is and to go there with somebody else to the extent that we're not afraid of our own minds and our mm -hmm. own hearts anymore. And that mm -hmm. is such a great liberation mm -hmm. that this practice offers to us. But you're right, it takes practice because we have to know, we have to have the discernment to understand, oh, this feeling is not me. I am feeling this feeling which actually belongs to the person I'm with. And right. to be able to see and discern. And you could probably put it into words better, but that is definitely a fruit of the practice. Yeah. Mm. To be able to do that. Mm. To be able to know in addition to using oneself fully, opening fully in the service of another, of knowing and understanding another, to also be able to know that which is still me, that which is not me. And to be able to hold the yeah. oneness, the oneness and the two-ness simultaneously. And that's mm -hmm. difficult. Yes. And it's also, I would say that it is our um, example of sainthood because for that very learning, I still look to Mother Teresa because there is, a, there is a yogic magic in doing that the way that she did it because she did not contract any of the diseases of the people that other people would not touch. And she would caress them and hug them. And I would say it's the greatest example of that. Um, it is a yogic skill, actually. Yes, it's it being seated yeah. in a view because she said, I just see Jesus, you know, I mean, that's yeah. what she would say. Yeah. And so she's established in a non-separate place from the absolute nature of things. There's a rigor, you know, to it and you could see it and feel it. And, and she did not contract and anything that everybody else was afraid of in touching these people who were in such horrific states and that, you know, it's like the example, there is an actual, there is an actual powerful uh, practice that transcends the laws of what we presume from that very act. But you have, obviously, you have to be centered in a very profound recognition instead of self-centered, again, once again. It's and, interesting that you bring up, that you, that you bring up Mother Teresa in this regard, because yeah, she had that, that almost like you're saying, that yogic magic protection yeah. um, that she carried. At the same time, 
when you read her letters, mm -hmm. um, what's so clear, I felt so sad for her in a way because I felt here is this woman with the power that she had to do this, to give this love everywhere mm -hmm. all the time and to live to live the way she lived and what she embodied and to keep going even when she personally was experiencing a lot of depression and disconnection she wouldn't have called it that and mm -hmm. and yet she turned to the male spiritual directors for help when she herself was the source like just this yeah. powerhouse mm -hmm. of connection to the divine to jesus to however you conceive of it and I feel like she didn't get the help she needed no. from those male spiritual directors who were so, um, in a way, bound to the tradition and the hierarchy they were part of. And yes. just interesting. It, it is. And, she but had, she, she, I think she also referred to the ruthlessness of her lover, Jesus, you know, is it? <laughs> She was not given an out by not having the company that was any more advanced to help her out. And she mm -hmm. also felt that to be a part of the given communication of a love of Jesus, you know. But again, I feel like any incredible advancement is absolutely a harder load to carry as a woman because there isn't the capacity to recognize what it takes to support a woman because we are coming into a time where that is just becoming acceptable, you know, like yes. the other letters that are so amazing to read is how much self denigration was in every single one of Teresa of Avila's letters because she would have gotten beheaded or burned at the stake. Yes. Yes. And mm -hmm. her strategy yes. was so intelligent that she saved, she created a practice space for some incredible practitioners that were all women. And, but she, she pushed the button of self-effacement so that it is horrifying, you know, but she changed the face yeah. of contemplative Catholicism and Christianity because her realization and the realizations of her nuns were so significant that she snuck it into the conversation as well, you know? So the unacceptability, and this is something that I have discovered in a subtle way in the last few years, because I'm such an idealist, you know, you get so busy just doing what you do, is that there is a questionableness to a deeply realized woman. Yeah. There just is yeah. as, as an authority, you know, so how many women would challenge what I was teaching them about their periods, you know, and here I am like, you know, I have done more yoga during my period and they were adhering to the instructions of men and wouldn't even enter into the conversation. They would just call me wrong. And I was like, hold on, hold on a second. I am a woman, <laughs> you know, I do bleed monthly and I, I do turn upside down and make use of all these skill sets. I am living it so you can trust the information, you know, but the, the fact that I had to justify myself, you know, the, suspectness there came a point where i went i'm so tired of my love being suspect and then i realized that it is a cultural growing curve mm -hmm. and this is where my greatest compassion is actually needed mm -hmm. instead of having a charge about that to be grateful about the growing curve that you just talked about in your lifetime trudy 
Yes. It's just so beautiful. There, there come these places where, oh my gosh, you know, as, as a woman, you're just bereft. Whereas there's all these, you know, even, uh, you know, even in corporate worlds, there's all of these supports for the pillar, you know, mm-hmm. but it doesn't look the same when you're, when you're a woman. And I think it's also like my greatest I think my greatest lesson of being a teacher, because I teach a body art and I never wanted to teach men. I mean, I know it sounds biased, but because I was actually terrified of their attraction. And I was so grateful that I had a partner and some very ruthless teachers that said, nobody can actually give these men what you have, or we would put a man in front of them, you know? So And they made me face my fear. And the worst happened in the first most dedicated men's yoga class, great men, the worst possible thing happened. Horror of horrors. I'm surprised I could breathe through it is two of these men fell mercilessly. I would say attracted to me, you know, and it was so good because I think the clearest thing that I have to offer because it's a body practice, but anytime that I teach anything, the acknowledgement that a woman's form is the most depicted form, which means it's one of the most attractive forms in this particular universe. And to own that dynamic clearly and to be very clear and clean about my own energy, I think is one of the greatest uh, Mm -hmm. lessons that I, that I got along the way because I actually dealt with that with complete clarity and total honesty. And we're all still grateful for that moment. Friends now, you know, this was a long time ago, friends now, but I learned to not suppress something about myself and also to acknowledge the dynamic that some men actually feel weakened by my direction, but they get over it because it's good information. But when I feel that dynamic, I never take it personally. I know that once again, it's because I'm being very directive and I'm the embodiment of a woman and I'm not a very masculine woman. You know, I'm definitely very forceful, but I'm not a mass, you know, deep voiced and everything else. So that is the biggest thing about the gender of being a woman teacher and teaching men is the acknowledgement of the magnetism between men and women. And I feel like that is one of the most unaddressed things in culturally that we tend to do. We tend to blur genders, call out sameness, and then you have a scandal, you know? It's like <laughs> well, at least, in, at least in this country, we do it more in this country, I think, that yeah. blurring of gender differences. and Definitely. And it, and, you know, it started, it, I think it started in some kind of healthy or compassionate way of trying to address the polarization and um, some of the discrimination against women. Mm-hmm. Well, we'll just, you know, we'll just get strong and be like them. And it, so it wasn't, it didn't come from something bad. But then we, I think many, um, many women, I don't know, almost like forgot or were ashamed of the feminine. And, mm-hmm. uh, and, I really love being a feminine woman and I really love feeling that the way that m- many men are just drawn to that. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And it's, and I'm drawn 
to that in them. I mean, they're madness too. And so I think one of the least talked about it's yes, it's gender and blurring, but it's also sexuality. Yes. And that sexuality, what's happened to sexuality and the objectification, all the things we know of women's bodies and beauty and, um, and I live in Los Angeles where I really see it so, yeah. so much, so much. That's the conversation that's often missing in mm-hmm. the circles that we travel in because it came from a monastic tradition. Yes. And, and just as I see women who are home with their little kids longing for some woman who will talk about spiritual practice in a way that's possible for them to mm-hmm. do, mm-hmm. Uh, I feel there's a kind of longing from both men and women to have a conversation about sexuality. And I was teaching a mindfulness and sexuality class at one point and a very senior teacher in our tradition, I was trying to just ask different people, what is your experience of Mm -hmm. sexuality in the practice? And I said something about mindfulness and sexuality. And this teacher said, mindful sexuality is not possible. So I think there again, anything that we push aside, we push outside of our Mm, practice. We say, this is not part of our practice. It's going to take over and become so powerful because Mm -hmm. by definition, then it's outside of awareness, right? We're not working like that. Yeah, it's in shadow. That is the exact definition of demonic is actually that. It's not like, you know, the objectified ghoulies. That is the definition is when you... Right. separate from your awareness a powerful impulse, it gets just as powerful, more powerful, but it no longer has any consciousness to it. It doesn't go right. away. Right. And then it seeps out and sabotages you in all these different ways that you're not even aware of, mm-hmm. which and is I, why it's I, just important to work with, with every element that comes up, not just the ones you like or the ones <laughs> that are acceptable culturally or otherwise, even your sangha. But culturally it's important too, because I'm a grandmother now. I'm an, um, congratulations. Thank you. (laughs) And I love the word abuela because it Mm. is a revered condition in, um, say in Mexican culture. Whereas in my culture to say grandmother, if you say, Oh, you don't look like a grandmother. That's that's considered to be a compliment that I don't look like a grandmother. Well, this is a grandmother and now I look like one. (laughs) (laughs) What I was starting to say is that my granddaughter who is um, 11 was, she came home from school and she said, you know, Nini, which she calls me, um, something happened at school today. And I said, oh, what happened? And she said, well, we're starting to learn about puberty. And when he said it, I couldn't stop laughing. And I got in trouble. And I thought, you see, this is because they don't even talk about it until fifth grade when their little bodies are already changing. And a friend of mine who is... um, is German said, this is part of the conversation from kindergarten in her country. It's just a normal part of life. And nobody, yep. nobody giggles and gets in trouble when it's a subject at school. Uh, anyway, I feel this is something that women, that we, it's part of the feminine to bring this yes. into our children's lives too, without fear and shame. Exactly. Because in it's appropriate um, ways. It's actually, you know, living in the true sovereignty of what it is to be in a body. It just takes a little linkage point, you know, just a little bit. And 
for many years, I got the opportunity to teach in a, in the beautiful community that Maharish Mahesh Yogi founded in the Midwest. And they have an entire school system based on, I mean, total wisdom, you know, body types of learning and, and everything. But they do have boys and girls learn separately up until a particular age and then for particular events. So it's not like it's a negative. Mixed company isn't a negative, but it's just to be able to actually address all of the, you know, body things that start coming up completely freely because yeah. I just, I, especially being from a, you know, Latin culture where polarity is just really, they're sen sensitive to, if a man started telling me about puberty, I would have died. You know, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it was a man. It's like I need, was... I need a woman to tell me about Tampax. You know, it's like, mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. or whatever that that is. That there's, there's something that I think we fear of going backward into the harsh stereotypes, but that we have to acknowledge bodily types you know just the difference like we just yeah. have a different shape it takes different maintenance to be born in a woman's body doesn't matter if you identify as as a, a man or a woman in whatever body that's right different embodiments take different maintenance and it's mm -hmm. easier in same bodied company certain things you know and that i do think is a feminine mm -hmm. skill set to notice to take into account it's beautiful. One thing I've been working on lately in terms of feminine practice and just kind of coming more into my own feminine and consciously wanting to come more into my own feminine over the last year is actually a teaching from Trudy that I heard via Emily <laughs> that I've been working with for like, I don't even know, months now, which... Teach me, teach me. Which, what was it? Which is, beautiful, <laughs> which, is, which is beautiful. And it leads me just to our wrap up here because we're, we're coming close to the end of time, but um, be the lover. So I've kind of used taking this like koan or guiding inquiry as be the lover. I'm going to like even cry right now. I just mm. feel tender. Mm. Um, but that's made a huge difference in, in terms of me just sinking into my heart, sinking into my body, sinking into my feeling non-emotional state mm -hmm. and just being the lover. And, and so I just want to, one, thank you, Trudy, for that teaching via Emily. It's, it's been incredible these last six months for me. Um, very powerful. And with that, just in terms of all this and this conversation and this great dialogue, just from each of you, Trudy and Sophia, what would be your, your pertinent message to the younger generation of practitioners? Um, myself, Emily, Vince, um, both male and female, um, just around this whole conversation. Is there kind of like a one liner that you could each give us um, a word of advice, a, a message, something that you'd want us to grow into, a critique, anything that the younger generation could benefit from as our kind of our way to close. I would just say, trust your feelings. <laughs> trust, trust, trust. And maybe I would like to use that elegant distinction that Sophia made between emotion and feeling. Not your reactive emotions, but that deep intuition. Mm -hmm. Trust your intuition. Mm -hmm. It's so funny. I was going to say almost exactly the same thing. That has never happened, except I was going to say, trust the differences that you notice between you and other people is actually trust them and, uh, you know, lovingly explore them like in the same practice of, of feeling, not emoting or charging or making that negative difference, but to actually 
uh, trust because we feel all these things bodily, but we tend to bury it. Mm -hmm. And I think it's time to bring a lot of what we have a tremendous charge about that doesn't have language, but bodily response. I think it's time to bring it online in, in our practice communities. Trust and talk about it, write about about it. it. Yes. Beautiful. Thank you so much. Thank Thank you. you. Wonderful. Thank Thank you. you. Thank you. And thanks for kicking off Geeks the Roundtable with the Strong Feminine. I, I think it's going to be um, very auspicious for the rest of the show. <laughs> yes, wonderful. thank you. Wonderful. Thank you for doing it. So wonderful to see you, meet you, and talk. I, I have fallen in love with you, Trudy. You <laughs> this was not um, enough. And I just drove down to Los Angeles for a memorial, and I'm like, oh, we're, this is just like a little bit later. I would have gone to see you. <laughs> oh, I would love to see you. Emily's talked about you, and she's right. You're wonderful. Oh, <laughs> how lovely. Well, with that, I just will end with be the lover. <laughs> be the lover. Yeah. Thank yeah. you, you beautiful you. Buddhist geeks. Mm. <laughs> Thank you. Namaste. Join us for the fourth annual Buddhist Geeks Conference hosted in partnership with Mindful Cyborgs and Shambhala Sun from October 16th through the 19th in beautiful Boulder, Colorado. This year's conference will be exploring the convergence of Buddhism with modern culture and technology through informative keynote presentations, idea-packed TED-style talks, self-organizing community dialogues, and contemplative workshops and practice periods. This year's list of presenters includes the world's most quantified man, Chris Dancy, abbot of the village Zendo in New York City, Roshi Pat Enkyo O'Hara, and pragmatic Dharma provocateur, Daniel Ingram, as well as many others. For more information and to register, visit BuddhistGeeks.com conference. After nearly a year in private beta, the Buddhist Geeks Network is now open for any independent practitioners who want to engage in interdependent practice. You can find out more about the Buddhist Geeks Network by visiting BuddhistGeeks.network. And if you'd like to join the community and join us in regular social meditation practice or other events that we host there in the network, all freely offered, you're very welcome to do so, again, by visiting BuddhistGeeks.network. Love to see you there.